0: Good morning, Redeemer. Good, morning. good to see you guys. Some commentaries uh, struggle to, to place this part of the letter. Uh, it seems like an interlude in, in some ways. Uh, is this part of the kind of theological meat and the argument of this letter, or is it something else? Um, it, you know, it, it sort of reads like a commendation, often in, in ancient letters, the, the, whoever was delivering the letter. Um, the, the sender would, would commend them. Like at the end of Romans, you see, uh, Romans 16, you see Paul commend Phoebe, right, to the church in Rome because she brought the letter to Rome. Uh, she, she read the letter to them. And so, um, so it kind of reads like that, but, it, but that doesn't make sense, uh, partially because Epaphroditus is from Ephesus, or is from Philippi, rather. Uh, they know him. Uh, and, and it's also right in the middle here. So, so why is it, uh, you know, why is this part here? Um, but I think what makes sense of it, and what we have to remember, uh, is that Paul was a real dude. You know, he was a, he was a real guy. This is an actual letter. Uh, it's, it's, it's real life. He, he's, he's writing uh, to this church that he's sending it by Epaphroditus. Um, he's told them now about his situation, kind of what, what he's doing. He's encouraged them in their situation, what he's heard uh, about them. Um, and, and so now he moves to what's next. Right? When, when, when will I get to see you again? Who's coming to visit you? Uh, and, and when should they expect to see Paul and Timothy again? And, and here we get to see Paul talk about these two brothers, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Um, we, we get to see friendship, I think, in the Bible. So, so let's look at, at Paul and his ministry and his friendship with these uh, two brothers. And I hope we can see in this passage uh, the kind of friend that we should strive to be. Um, We're going to see three things today. Uh, First, what we can learn from Timothy. Second, what we can learn from Epaphroditus. And third, what we can learn from how Paul Paul speaks about and talks about these two uh, brothers. Let's pray once more, and then we'll dive in. Father, we we so appreciate uh, you bringing us here this morning. Uh, We appreciate your word uh, that always speaks to us as we need it. Uh, we pray that you would, you would speak to us. You would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, uh, through your word, and that you would make us open to what you have to say. Uh, we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. First, what, what can we learn from Timothy? What can we learn from Timothy? Um, so, so backstory a little bit. Paul, Paul and Timothy meet in Lystra. Paul, Timothy is from Lystra. Uh, and, and they meet on Paul's second missionary journey, as it's called. Um, and and they, they actually meet just before uh, Paul founds this church in Philippi. He's going through Lystra. He sees Timothy. They're immediately drawn to one another. He invites him to come and to travel with him. Uh, and, and then they go to Philippi, right? And, and everything crazy happens, the casting out demons, the going to prison, and then the earthquake breaking them out, and the centurion getting saved, all this stuff that, that kind of precipitated the church at Philippi coming together. And so Paul and Timothy are, are, are part of that together. Um, Timothy and Paul developed what is, you know, the stereotypical mentoring uh, relationship in the Bible. You hear, uh, you know, Paul's and Timothy's. What does that mean? That means mentors and mentees. Now, Paul even says in verse 22 that Timothy is like a son to him. He's, he's done gospel ministry like a son with a father. Paul trusted Timothy and often left him in cities uh, that that they've gone through to to work with the church, or he sent him back to cities uh, where where he had been to see how churches were doing, encourage them, and then report back to him. Um, The two letters of of Paul to Timothy, the first and second Timothy uh, in the New Testament are just full of fatherly love and encouragement uh, and, and exhortation. And we see here in this passage why Paul trusts Timothy so much. Verse 20, for I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. When Paul says, all seek their own interests, I have no one like him. I, I, I don't think he's saying literally, Timothy is the only unselfish person I've ever worked with. Right? He's just about to praise Epaphroditus. He praises other people in other places, uh, that, that he, he, his friends and co-workers. Um, but, but I think he's making a generalization here. He's right? saying, everyone's, everyone's in it for themselves. Everyone's in it for themselves. And isn't that true of human nature? Isn't that true of us? All seek their own interests. Even in... in ministry, even in counseling, even in giving, uh, even in the best imaginable actions, people seek their own interests, their own power, their own comfort, their own reputation, their own status. There's always an angle, but not Timothy, Paul says. Not Timothy. He's one in a million. Timothy genuinely cares about your interests. Timothy exemplifies the mind of Christ that, that Paul's just described in, in chapter 2, uh, 1 through 11, we saw a couple of weeks ago. Timothy lives out, verse 4, everyone should look not to his interests, but rather to the interests of others. Paul can say without hesitation, man, it'll be great when Timothy can come to you. He can't come yet, and he's going to wait and see how it goes with me, but when he comes and when I send him, man, it'll be awesome, right? He cares for you. And good friends care for you. If you want to be a good friend, right, you have to care for others. No, not be not in it for what you can get or how you can use a relationship, what it might bring you, what opportunities might come your way, but you're just in it for the other person, whatever's best for them. And how often we get this wrong in all kinds of relationships. Right, we, we think we have good motives, but we're in it for our own interests. Right? Are you are you uh, friends with with all your neighbors, or, or just the ones who can do something for you? Students at school, do you only you know try to eat lunch with and hang out with those who make you look cool in your group, or will you hang out with someone who will not help your reputation? One of the easiest examples of this is seen in uh, I think youth sports. Right, the, the red-faced dad screaming at the Little League umpire might say he's doing what's best for his kid, but he certainly is not. <laughs> right, he's in it for himself. I, I can stand up here and, and preach out of love for you, or I can try to impress you. Paul himself said in, in chapter one, some preach out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill, out of love. You can give money or help someone out of love. You can give money or help someone to be seen by others, to be seen as a giving person. But to to be a good friend is to be like Timothy, to, to genuinely care for the other person, to genuinely just want what's best for them. I wonder if you noticed an interesting connection here in what Paul says though, in verse 20 again. I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. All right, it's interesting, he doesn't say all seek their own interests, not the interests of others. He says all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Um, The the, your interests that, that Timothy will care about are also those interests of Jesus Christ. It's not just um, the other person's interest, whatever they happen to be, that we're to seek, but we're to seek Jesus Christ's interests for that person. Right A great question might be this: What does Jesus want for my friend? What does Jesus want for my spouse? What does Jesus want for my coworker? And then, how can I seek that? How can I seek what, what's best for them? I think we learned from Timothy that we need to genuinely care for others, right? What, what's best for them? Now, Epaphroditus, what can we learn from him besides what we're gonna name the next boy who's born in our family? Uh, it's a great name, Epaphroditus. Um, what can we learn from Epaphroditus? Uh, he's from Philippi. Uh, it says, he's your messenger and minister to my need. Uh, and so from this passage and, and from uh, another verse in, in chapter four, we can kind of put together the pieces of this, uh, of this story. In the ancient world, prisoners you know, didn't generally get treated very well. They didn't get a food stipend. Um, and so if you're in prison, you counted on your friends. You've counted on your friends to come and to help you. Um, and so uh, the church at Philippi, they hear Paul's in prison. He's locked up. He's under house arrest. he's in need. And they send Epaphroditus with money, probably a, a large sum of money, uh, to, to, to go to Paul, to buy supplies, to stay with him, and, and help support him in his imprisonment. Likely, Epaphroditus traveled with a group of people, right? Since uh, in the ancient world, there were a lot of robbers. You can think the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Uh, and, and so he would have had a large sum of money. So he probably had a group of people with him for safety. Um, and, and he was traveling to, uh, to give aid to Paul. So let's read from 26. It says, Since he's been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I'm very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again when you, see, when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me." Somewhere along the journey, likely, Epaphroditus got sick. Right? So he's bringing aid to Paul, but he, he got sick. As you know, sickness in the ancient world was oftentimes more serious, more deadly uh, than, it, than it is now. So someone from his company, uh, probably during the journey, went back actually to Philippi and told the church that maybe, that maybe that's how they knew, right? They just heard he was sick. They hadn't heard how it ended. Uh, they couldn't text each other. And so you just hear, man, this, this guy we sent, our messenger to Paul, he got sick. I wonder what, what happened. But Epaphroditus himself continued the mission, right? He continued uh, to deliver uh, the, the, the help to Paul, risking his life, it says. says three times. He risked his life. He almost died uh, for for this ministry. He brought help, uh, but he almost died in the process. And and Paul describes Epaphroditus as, as three things. His brother, his fellow worker, and his fellow soldier. Right? Brother, fellow worker. I love when Paul just heaps up words like this, right? Analogies. There's a closeness, there's a unity here of love and of purpose that you can see as Paul talks about Epaphroditus. So what does he say? He's his brother first, right? And, and we do this with, with close family friends. We couldn't call them, uh, call them our siblings, even though they aren't, call, you know, have our kids call them aunts and uncles, even though they're not, uh, you know, blood related. Hey, this is my daughter, even though she's not really my daughter, but she's like a daughter to me. Uh, for Paul, of course, this is more than just a term of endearment. Uh, it's a reality for those of us who are in Christ. One time, Jesus was, uh, was teaching in a crowd, and some people came, uh, you know, the crowd was pressing in, and some people came and said, hey, your, your, your mother and your brothers are outside. They want to speak with you. And Jesus replied in kind of a surprising way. He said, who, who are my mother and my brothers? And he's stretching out his hands toward his disciples. He said, the, here are my mothers and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, my mother. Jesus redefines family for us, for we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are blood-bought family. And, and we are, or should be, uh, second, fellow workers, fellow workers. Um, we should have the same mind and be of the same purpose as verse two of Philippians 2 says. I Have the same mind. Be of one purpose. Be united in this. Um, C.S. Lewis makes this point in his book, The Four Loves, about friendship. Uh, he distinguishes between lovers and friends by, by saying lovers are always looking at each other. Right? They're looking in each other's eyes. While friends are always standing next to each other looking at something else. Right, friendship is is built over shared truth, shared love, shared purpose, shared experience. This is why Lewis says, uh, "Pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. Right? Needy people who just want a friend they can often never make friends, and the the, the reason is friendship has to be about something." It has to be pursuing something. Those who have nothing, he says, can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. We have to be pursuing something together, right? If If we want friends, if we want brothers, if we want this companionship, we need to be fellow workers. We need to be pursuing the same goal. And lastly, Paul describes Epaphroditus as his fellow soldier. My fellow soldier, military analogy. I was talking recently with, with some guys about uh, Band of Brothers, you know, that, that miniseries, the show. What's it about? Um, it, it's based on a true story about Easy Company, right? The 2nd Battalion, the 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment. This group of soldiers who grew together, right, on their deployment, they, and their time together and training on the battlefields of World War II. Often friendships born in, in uh, foxholes last till death, right? Why is that? We know that there's shared experience, there's shared mission, there's shared suffering. Paul calls Epaphroditus, he's my fellow soldier. We're in the fight together. We're bleeding together. What's, What's the lesson here? I think if we want brothers and sisters, if we want fellow workers, fellow soldiers, we want this type of companionship, this type of closeness, this type of unity, like friends who are this dear, we need to be people with a clear vision. Right? Where are we going? Right? Is our life about knowing Jesus and making him known? Is he our goal? Is he our aim? Is he our pursuit? As Christians, we share the deepest unity imaginable. <laughs> we, have, uh, we have the most powerful purpose uh, ever. We've been given the best and the freest gift and we are called together to the great adventure of following Christ. Christians should be and can be the most wonderful and the most life-giving friends. What, what's, what's the barrier to this? What stops us? From, from, from these kind of relationships. Well, um, look at verse 29. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy. Hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. He, uh, Epaphroditus, his love for the church, uh, his love for Jesus led him to suffer, led him to, to be able to, to risk his physical life for this, this ministry, for Paul. And, and Paul says, men like this deserve honor, right? Honor people who suffer for the sake of the gospel. And so why don't we pursue whole, wholeheartedly together? Um, why don't we pursue Christ in a way that, that deep friendships are forged so often? And, and I think maybe it's because we aren't willing to suffer like Epaphroditus was. I, I won't consider serving someone because man, my schedule's kind of full. That would be inconvenient. That would be uncomfortable. It might cost me something. It might be painful. It might risk something valuable to me. And it, I think this is obvious to say, but if our discipleship to Jesus can only fit around kind of our ideal, comfortable life, then we aren't following him And he's gotta be first. the calls is always take up our cross and follow Jesus. And I think we learn from Epaphroditus, man, that's the way. That's the way to grow these friendships, to be pursuing Christ wholeheartedly. Third, what can we learn from from Paul and, and from about how he talks about his friends? Uh, in, in Romans 12, 10, one of the, uh, I think my favorite verses in the Bible, Paul wrote to, uh, to the church at Rome, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is the, the biblical justification for competition, right? <laughs> this is it, outdo one another. Oh, you're gonna honor? I'll honor more, right? Uh, like I'm gonna beat you in honoring. Um, this, this is what it says. It, honoring one another should be a holy competition that we are engaged in. And I think Paul, in, in our passage, I think he models this for us, doesn't he? Where he mentions his friends and, and he just can't help but sort of gush out honor on them. Right? Commentators even, they try to describe, like they try to come up with backstories about, well, why would Paul say this much about Timothy and this much about Epaphroditus? What was going on? And it's like, well, maybe he just honor he's just outdoing them and showing honor. He's like, well, I'll just tell you about these guys. I love them so much. Hey, look at this guy. We should, we should honor each other like this. And I think we're pretty good at this as a culture. This is kind of what Twitter's for. It's like for honoring people, Right? There's there's not a lot of slander or gossip on there. Um, No, we're bad. That was a joke. We're bad at this. (laughs) We're bad at this. Honor those who serve well. Speak well of them to others. Lift those people up. It's a command, right? These people deserve honor. Like honor people like him. Hold them in honor. Uh, But it's also how to be a good friend. You want to be a good friend? Man, honor people. Speak well about them. If you honor people, they'll appreciate that. You, you want to be around people who speak well of others, who don't, who don't talk behind people's back. So, so be that person. Be that type of person. Honor each other. Paul also wrote to the church uh, in, in Thessalonica, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. He wrote to, to uh, Ephesus, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And, and I think Paul's modeling that for us here as well uh, because Timothy and Epaphroditus are likely in the room when he's dictating this, uh, this letter. Um, Epaphroditus, even if they weren't, Epaphroditus is certainly going to read this letter or hear it read when he delivers it uh, to the church. So not only is Paul honoring them to others, right, talking well about them, right, when they're not there, he, he, he's also encouraging them directly. He's praising them in their hearing for their faithful service, for their love, for their sacrifice, for their loyalty to Jesus. And can't we, can't we learn that we should do the same? I think people are starving for encouragement, I, in a desert of encouragement, our church should be an, an oasis. Our encouragement should be the tone and the tenor of our conversations. When we see something good in anyone, we should be the first person to point it out, to thank them, to thank God for them. Our words should lift people up, to, should give grace to those who hear. In a desert of encouragement, our families should be an oasis. Right? Students and kids, if you're in here, if you're a kid in here listening, are you encouraging to your brothers and sisters? Or do you just make fun of them? I think my kid just said no. So there you go. <laughs> right? are, 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 you, uh, like, are you encouraging kids to your parents? As a parent, I can just tell you it means a lot when kids encourage their parents. If you're a teenager, it means a lot if you encourage your parents. Parents, um, it's so easy to be critical uh, of our children, isn't it? Um, like, there's, like you can be critical literally 100% of the time. There's always something that could be better, isn't there? There's always something you could teach them, something you could improve. And we, we need to tr- teach and train our children, of course, but, but our children need our encouragement. Encouragement is the secret weapon of parenting, Right? If, we, if we enjoy and encourage our children, uh, man, they will enjoy us, and they'll be much more likely to listen to us. And don't their eyes light up when they get a little encouragement. And, and when someone is encouraging, um, don't you just want to be around them? Like, just think of who is the most encouraging person you know? And I guarantee you, it's not someone that you're like, ugh, I don't want to hang out with them. (laughs) No, it's like you want to be around them. I think, uh, you know, I think of Ed and Kitty White. They're some of the most encouraging people I know. Many of you know them. They they moved up to the Northwest to be with family, but they were here for many years. Um, And they've been gone for over a year now. I mean, they moved last year and... Uh, but even just, you know, a couple weeks ago, I got a, I got a letter, you know, a card in the, in the mail from Kitty. And if you've ever gotten a card from Kitty White, it's like, it's a card, but it's like the front and every side is just full of text. And it's just like, we're praying for you. We love you. You're doing so good. Like, it's just so encouraging. Uh, It's amazing. And I'm like, man, I want to be like Ed and Kitty. Like, Lord, make me like that. Um, man, they're so encouraging. Um, John Godbold, uh, who was in the first service, he always comes up and and, uh, encourages me about the sermon, even when the sermon stinks. (laughs) He can always get something from it. It's amazing. Uh, He's he's so encouraging. I love hanging out with him. Uh, Ben Grimmie uh, texted me on Friday, just this last week, and asked me if he could pray for me. And it was right when I needed it. I'm like, man, thank you so much. He's such a faithful and encouraging friend. And I want to be like that. I want to be a friend like Ben. And so many of you are such great encouragers. And, and, and may God make us all that more and more. And may he stir that in us and help us. Good friends are encouragers. And I, I wonder why, why do we struggle so much with encouraging? Or why is it so hard? Because it's not complex. <laughs> it's not difficult, right? You just to notice something and say, hey, good job on that it's not a hard thing to do, you know, ostensibly. Why do we struggle? I think you could have a lot of, you could list a hundred things, but I'm going to talk about three. Um, The first one I think is self-focus, self-focus. You know, I'm just the the only thing on my mind most of the time. Wake up, and I think about myself and what I'm going to do today and what I need to do today and what's happening. And I go through life and I think about, oh, well, what am I doing? And I think about my goals and I think about what's happening and my experiences. And, and if you, It's just the most natural thing in the world. And it's not totally your fault. You can only live from your own self. <laughs> you can only be yourself. Uh, you have to think about yourself. And so, uh, but but if, if I don't notice uh, good in others, maybe it's just because I'm just thinking about myself all the time. Right? If you're only focused on yourself, you'll never notice the good in others and be able to encourage. Second uh, is a critical spirit. A critical spirit. I think Christians are sometimes known for this, being judgmental, um, but it also pervades our world, like, like with Twitter. We, we judge people from afar right, without any real knowledge of their motives. We, we don't give them the benefit of the doubt. It's easy to be a cynic and it's kind of like diabolically fun to be a cynic. You're like, like Satan in the garden questioning God's motives. Did God really say? We, we, we question and throw, and throw doubt on anyone and everyone and anything and everything. And if all we focus on every day is the negative, then soon it will be hard to ever see anything positive. How will we, we see something to encourage if we never see anything good? If we always see the bad, I think we can have a critical spirit. And third uh, is pride. Pride. And this is related to, to self-focus, but I think it, it gets deeper into motivation. I, I think the fear is, if I praise others, then they'll get the attention. And, and deep down, if I'm honest, I want the attention. where we're quick, aren't we, to notice the flaws of others, but to overlook our own. We're quick to be resentful if we don't get the recognition that we deserve, uh, but but we're slow to recognize others. John the Baptist had the mindset of humility, right? He must increase, I must decrease. But I think we often struggle with having the opposite. We think if anyone else increases, we'll decrease. No, 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 they gotta decrease. I'm gonna put them down so that I feel better by myself self-focus critical spirit pride all of these will keep us from encouraging one another so what can we do what's our hope well we are in church so the answer is jesus (laughs) right jesus jesus our friend Look again at verse 20. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. This implies, doesn't it, that that Jesus has interests for the church. What are Jesus's interests for you? Have you ever thought of that? What does he want for you? Do you know that Jesus cares for you? that he genuinely wants what's best for you. You're like, how do you know that? Well, we know it because of what he did for us, what Paul just talked about earlier in chapter two, right? Uh, We we, we know this because he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus said, there's no greater love than this, someone lay down his life for his friend. And that's what he did. That's what he did for you. He laid down his life. He has your best interests in mind to the point that he died in your place so that you could be saved. You could be forgiven. You could be redeemed. Jesus, he's the best friend that one you could have. He didn't didn't grasp his status and position of equality with God, right? Right? It's, it's, it, for the, only, the person who, who could be self-focused wasn't, right? Instead, he humbled himself. From, from the splendor of heaven, he chose to look down on his enemies and to notice our plight. It would have been easy for him just to keep walking, but he noticed. He, he knew, he knew that our motives were bad and evil. He knew that we were enemies, And yet he chose to draw near. He drew near to sinners. The one who who all attention and praise is owed to. Right? The one with a name above every name was stripped naked. He was spit upon. He was tacked to the wooden cross. And he died. And because he noticed, we have hope. Because he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, we are forgiven, we are justified. Because he gave up his status, we are brought into the family of God. And because he humbled himself, God raised him from the dead and God exalted him and he gave him the name that's above every name. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. And Christian, here's where our theology gives us great power to encourage others. This is it. When we are in awe of Jesus, right, when we are on our knees at the foot of the cross, uh, when our tongues are confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, when he is our life and our joy and our passion and our drive, right, that is when all of our self-focus, all of our critical spirit, all of our pride dies. We are dead to sin and alive to God. Just like Pilgrim in the Pilgrim's Progress. He goes, he comes to the foot of the cross and what happens? All of a sudden this burden he's been carrying, his sin falls off and rolls away into the grave and he doesn't see it again. When Jesus fills your vision, self-focus, critical spirit and pride falls away and is replaced with gratitude and joy. What did, what, did, what did verse one of chapter two say? If there's any encouragement in Christ, <laughs> have you been encouraged by Jesus? And that is what we, we encourage others out of. It's out of that joy that you can notice others. You can honor them. You can build them up. You can care about their interests, just what's good for them, what's best for them, what Jesus wants for them. Because you have all you need in Jesus. I wonder if you have found Jesus to be your greatest friend. He is the greatest friend. There's no one like him. If you haven't, I hope, I hope you will. I hope you'll trust him. You can. You can come today. Right? Your, your burden, your sin can fall away because Jesus died for you and he loves you and he lives today. church one of the things Jesus wants for us is to be faithful friends to each other I hope you have faithful friends I hope you are faithful friends so so let's hand in hand at the foot of the cross worship our savior let's get all that we need from him let's care about each other deeply let's suffer together for the advance of the gospel in the name of Christ. Let's honor and encourage one another. The Bible wasn't meant to be simply agreed to. I think in our circle, sometimes we just agree with the Bible. Yeah, it's great. No, we have to live it. It's gotta be lived. And so let's live it. And let's live Romans 12, 9 through 21. This is a great passage, I think, that says a lot about friendship and the family of God and what we're called to. And so I wanna close uh, with this passage and then we'll sing uh, together and take communion. This is Romans 12, starting in verse nine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty. Don't be proud, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Did not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much um, for your word and we thank you for your friendship to us. Uh, Jesus, that you would call us your friends um, is, is, it would be heretical if you didn't say it. (laughs) I can't believe that that would be true, Lord. You would call us your friend. You would want us as friends. Lord, after all we've done, for all we've left undone, um, that, that you would, would call us your friends. You would allow us to be a part of your family, part of your kingdom, part of your life. We thank you for your amazing grace. We praise your name. Lord, if there's someone in here who has not experienced your presence, who's not experienced your friendship, um, I pray that you would pour your love into their hearts by, by your Holy Spirit in a way that they can't deny. And Lord, for all of us, would you make us good friends? Would you make us encouragers? Would you forgive us where we're prideful and where we're self-focused and where we're critical? Um, Lord, would you, would you stir in us um, your gospel in a way that, that truly allows us to love others as we've been loved? Thank you, Lord, and we love you.